Well, good day, everyone. It's a pleasant morning, isn't it? Lately, the boys have been walking home from school and saying, it is hot outside. So it's definitely, spring is springing. It's happening. So that's good. And then we'll be, uh, we'll be hot. That's just how it goes, right? We're kind of like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, and they're thinking of leeks and garlic and onions and you know, when it's hot, we're cold, and oh, we wish we were cold, and when we're cold, we wish we were warmer. And, and then we, we're kind of halting between two opinions about which we really prefer, depending on how cold it is that day. You like it hot. Some like it hot, I'm told. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. I just wanted to pose a question to you to consider. What do you think is more important, to know the truth or to walk truthfully? Hmm. It's, it's something to think about. Um, the way we live, it reveals what we believe in truth. So how we live is very important. Of course, we have to be exposed to the truth to know to walk in the truth, right? So it's you definitely have two sides there. But um, in our passage today... We're going to read of our capacity to really to deceive ourselves, to think that we have fellowship with God because on the basis of our belief. Because we believe something, then we have fellowship with God. But fellowship with God comes from walking uprightly, and we can do that through his spirit. Uh, there's, there's many people that believe in the existence of God or a higher power or the universe's power to control things, some disembodied power somewhere, but it doesn't mean they honor him. See, Satan, the Bible says, believe, believes in God and trembles. He trembles because he believes, right? So it shows that there's a depth of belief, but there's no faith, no repentance, no salvation. So um, we, have, we can be a child of God, but without fellowship with God, because sin is in the way. Sin has severed that. So um, let's pray, and we'll get into the passage. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, that you have brought us to this place to hear you speak to us, that this is a, this is a genuine message from you. It's not a cheap, um, I guess, a copy, but it's the real thing. This is what you have to say, and I pray that we would all hear it and rejoice that you have spoken and walk in light of your truth. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you are faithful to your promises, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for all that you are for us, so much more beyond what we can really lay hold of. So we pray, Lord, that we would draw closer to you today and understand what you're saying to each one. In Jesus' name, amen. The light brings things to our knowledge. It's kind of like we live in a day where what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for the other uh, in a world of subjectivity, political correctness. Um, and, and it's not often that people speak objectively and concretely about moral issues being right or wrong, wickedness or righteousness. But God's word, it, it scatters the darkness away. It just, it lays bare the truth. And then 
our role as children of God is to decide if we're going to obey that or not. If we're going to agree with God and go his way, or if we're going to um, push back against it or ignore what he's saying. Uh, in preparing for this passage, there was a cool story I read about the light and the impact it has in our lives. And, and he said he went hunting with a friend on his property and, and they were separated. He said, I'll go this way, you go that way. Well, then it started just bucketing down rain and there were a lot of large caves on the property. And so he went into one of the caves and he's like, well, this rain, it's, it's not looking like it's passing. It's a little cool in here. So let's just make it more comfortable. And he gathered some wood that was laying around in abundance and started a fire. And he's like, ah, you know, this is nice, cozy cave. And he says, but then he looked on the sides of him and he saw snakes and big spiders. And, and suddenly he was not comfortable in the cave anymore. He did not want to stay in that cave. When it was dark, he thought, this is a good place to settle down. I can seek shelter here. But he said, as soon as I lit that fire and I saw what was in there and you know, uh, they, it's really their spot. He says, I was out of there, soaked to the bone, went home, and uh, found a much more comfortable spot to warm up. But the, the, the moral of the story was uh, the light made him uncomfortable in his present circumstances, circumstances that he was fine to make do with and to, be, to try to find comfort in them, but the light revealed the truth that he could not be comfortable. And that's sometimes what the word does for us, that when it shows us something about ourselves, we realize, wow, that's in me, and I can't be comfortable in that anymore. And so some people will avoid the light. They will move away from fellowship. They don't really want to open the Bible. They don't want to be confronted. But the Lord wants us to because he wants to love us and for us to receive that so we can walk in fellowship with one another. And so, uh, yes, may the Lord use this message in his way to bring us into fellowship with him. So verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John, in the beginning of this chapter, had talked about that he had heard him, he had seen him, he had observed Jesus, he had touched him. He had seen the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He beheld his glory. And he said, I have fellowship with the Father, and I want you, the recipients of this letter, to have fellowship with God and to have fellowship with us. And he wrote in 1 John 1 verse 4, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So when we have fellowship with God, we can also have fullness of joy. There's no fullness of joy without fellowship with God because joy comes through the Holy Spirit and having a good relationship with him. So John's not giving his opinion here. He's saying, this is a message I received from God, the message that I give to you. And this is really instructive for us, too, that when God gives us a message, it's a message we should be uh, bold to share when he leads. That uh, God doesn't give you a, a private message that's only for you. I mean, there may be times um, where it's a personal thing. However, the message God says, it's for everyone. It's truth that can be applied to everyone's life. Uh, and he says, God is light and in him is no darkness. So Jesus, the light of the world, he drives all darkness away. The sun, it's the main source of light for the earth, but it has spots. 
There is no spot in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. There's no unrighteousness in him. He's all light. He's purity. He's a revealer. He's an illuminator. He's the one who has no darkness whatsoever. He said in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So God gives us life, and he says, if you're in me, you will be in the light. Continue on in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Belief in Christ's deity, knowledge of his teachings, acknowledgement of his miracles does not mean that we are walking in the light. In the final five verses of this chapter, we'll see that the word if is used in every verse. And that's a conditional clause that's being introduced, which suggests that it's an either or. The an action has a logical consequence, okay? For example, who here, who here has played Monopoly? You're like, as infrequently as I can. Uh, but there can be some real Monopoly lovers out there, but most people are familiar with the chance card that says, uh, advance token to nearest railroad. If you pass go, collect $200. If it is unowned, you may buy it from the bank. If it is owned, pay the owner twice the normal rental. There are some conditional clauses there. And it's really, here, here are the rules. It's just laying out. If, if this is the case, then you, you pass go, you get $200. If it's unowned, you may buy that one. Not just any property, but the one that your token lands on. And if it is owned, then you have to pay double. So we get that, right? It's really not up for debate. You're like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about this. It is what it is. It's there for everyone to see. Verse 6 says, if we claim fellowship with God and walk in darkness, number one, we lie. Number two, we do not practice the truth. So if we're walking in darkness and we say we have fellowship with God, then we're lying. This is not uh, my word. This is not John's opinion. This is what God says. This is the message from him. Now, I don't know anyone who likes being called a liar. In fact, it's one of those things that we will even perhaps shudder or think twice about saying to somebody else because we know it's really a, it's almost a low blow, right, to call someone a liar. It's, it's pretty much questioning their character. But God is not a respecter of persons. And he says, if you claim fellowship with me, in me is no darkness. You're in darkness, you don't have fellowship with me. You're the liar, not me. And... Uh, God does not call our statements untruths or fables or fabrications or tales. He calls them lies. Like he lays it out there. We, we couch and soften the blow, don't we, with some of our lingo. But God says, if you claim fellowship with me and you're in darkness, you lie. you're a liar. You, you are lying. Um, so everyone who is not in the light is in the darkness. That's another condition. Like, if you're not in the light, you're in darkness. There's no gray, the perpetually sunset or uh, dusk. 
You can't describe your, your fellowship with God as being dusky, like it's in the light or it's in darkness. Um, now, the concept of walking in the light or the darkness is very easy if born-again Christians could only walk in the light. It'd be really simple, right? You're like, I'm born again, I'm in the light. But that's not how it goes. A child of the light can walk in darkness. And just because we believe something doesn't mean that we have fellowship with God at that time. Your conversion can be genuine. Your doctrine can be solid. But you can be in darkness today because you're not practicing the truth. You're not walking according to the light. I remember a a job I had at a U.S. Marine installation in Miramar. And uh, my job was to insulate these pipes that ran in these tunnels under the the, uh, runways and hangars. And they were long. If you had a light, like the door was open at the end of the tunnel, it looked like a pinprick. Like it was long, very tight, very dark. You could not see the hand in front of your face. Now, I knew during my shift, the sun was shining. But the knowledge of the sun shining up above did not mean I was in the light. In fact, it was pitch black unless I brought a light with me. So knowledge of the light that's shining, knowledge of God, doesn't mean that we're actually in the light. When Jesus said the law is summed up in loving God with all of our hearts and loving our, loving our neighbor as ourselves, there was a man who asked Jesus a question, and it said his motive to do so was to justify himself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? Because if he can get Jesus, if he can get off on a technicality, he wants to, depending on the way Jesus answered that question. And so it was really important to him, like, well, who's my neighbor? my neighbor is this person, then I can get off the hook. But this is our natural bent, isn't it? To, to, to question terms and to, to almost find a loophole so that we can get ourselves off the hook and we're not really um, in darkness anymore because of the way we define something. We can't do that, though. Not according to Scripture, because in the New Testament there are lots of lists. One of them we find in Galatians. And this one nailed, has nailed me many times over the years. If you want to turn there to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Because you might be walking in the light today, but there's something that God wants to reveal where you're in darkness. And he tells you this so that you will agree with him, confess it, and come into the light. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The grace of God does not excuse these practices. If these things are practices in our life, if it is a lifestyle for us, then we can know I am not experiencing fellowship with God. Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you've got sexual sins, religious sins, sins in the heart, in the mind, in the body, And it says, and the like. 
says, these are the works of the flesh. These are evident. These are obvious. But they're not always obvious to us, are they? No. That's why he tells us. And I love that about God. He brings it out into the open. He says, this ambition, that is sin. This, this envy, that's sin. Coveting. And blessed is the man who, instead of justifying himself, responds to the conviction of the Spirit with confession and repentance. Because verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. So as Christians, we have the power of God to not remain in darkness, but to walk in the light. Someone who is in darkness, who has never been born again, has no power to walk in the light but we have the power of God to live righteously. So if two believers have fellowship with God, they will have fellowship with one another. They will, because they have fellowship with God who unites them. They will have the communication, the communion, the contribution that we talked about last week. We're washed of guilt and the condemnation of sin, past, present, and future when we're born again, but we need continual cleansing, even as the priests who served in the temple, right? They couldn't have washed the day before their shift for today, and they can't wash today for tomorrow because as they do their duty, they get blood on them. They, they need to wash again and again and again. And so we too must be cleansed. The Lord cleanses us in real time as well as once for all, but also continual. We need that cleansing because we live in a world of sin in a body of flesh, and it's like sin sticks to us. It's really ironic. When we walk in the light, we actually become more aware of sins. We're more aware of sin than we were when we were in the dark. You know, I would come out of that tunnel and I could have said, yeah, I'm not really presentable right now after working eight hours in the dark. But when I came into the light, then I realized, like with my eyes, how dirty I was. Like, whoa. Because you know, I was working with fiberglass, I could feel it in my arms. But when you come into the light, it's quite different. The light revealed the truth. Fellowship with God is ours when we walk in the light, not according to the light. And this is really important. Because according to the light means perfection. It means that to have fellowship with God, I must be perfect. And I have to be perfect in every way. But we're not called, I mean, God wants to bring us to perfection, but he understands that we are dust and that we will fail. He's willing to cleanse us when we confess our sin, but we're to stay in the light, to walk in the light, even though we know we have sinned, and then to respond to the light by confessing our sin, and then he will cleanse us. Have you ever noticed how white socks don't stay white? They just don't. There's, I don't see anyone here that has like a, a snow white jacket or white pants or even white shoes. Yeah, are, are those, Rachel, are those completely white? No, will they stay white? When they start getting not white, will you keep wearing them? <laughs> will you keep wearing them when they're not quite as white as they are now? Okay. She might be an exception. I know that when I have white socks that are now really kind of gray, not really white anymore, I don't want them to be seen. 
Okay? I don't want them to see the light of day. Yeah, they show everything. So let's move on to verse 8. It says, again, three more conditional statements. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the first one, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are some who feel that because they've been born again, that they are without sin. They have reached this, uh, I guess, pinnacle of perfection, that even when they sin, we can't even call it sin anymore because they've been washed. They are now purified, sanctified, justified, and uh, beyond criticism. You know, even God's word does not really apply because I am, I'm clean. Jesus has washed me. Well, that's true in a sense. But some also say that we've become good now, even as God is good. Because I've been born again and the Spirit is in me, now I am good. But that's not what the Bible says, because Paul says, in me dwells no good thing. There is none good. No, not one. There's none who understands. Only God is good. I have a few quotes that I'd like just to read and let you think about. Spurgeon, he says, Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness and self-deception. I say if you say you have no sin, you have achieved a fearful success. You have put out your own eyes and perverted your own reason. So congratulations. You're blind if you think you have no sin. See, the gospel is for sinners. If you ever stop identifying as a sinner, then the gospel is not for you. Because apparently you have righteousness on your own. But no, our righteousness is through faith in Christ, who died for us, whose blood has washed us clean. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. David Guzik wrote, There are few people today who think they are sinlessly perfect, yet many, not many really think of themselves as sinners. Many will say, I make mistakes, or I'm not perfect, or I'm only human. But usually they say such things to excuse or defend. This is different from knowing and admitting, I am a sinner. I say, oh, everyone makes mistakes. We're kind of going light on sin. We're not really admitting that we're guilty of anything because everybody does it. So if we are sinners, and we are, we should admit it and own it, specifically what that sin is. Matthew Henry, he says, we must be aware of deceiving ourselves and denying or excusing our sins. The Christian religion is the religion of sinners. The Christian life is a life of continued repentance, of continual faith in, thankfulness for, and love to the Redeemer. So John says, again, just to reiterate, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this confession is something done specifically. So it's disclosing one's faults specifically. Since John is writing to Christians, we've established that already, and the context of what he's writing is having fellowship with God, confession is not a requirement for salvation. It's faith in Jesus that saves us. Because we're sinners, no confession we ever make to God could be complete. Right? 
If your salvation depended on you making a full, perfect confession to God, guess what? You could not be saved. So it's not dependent on the, the quality of your confession. But we're called to confess, aren't we? As we walk in the light, we realize sin we had no idea we had problems with. Have you noticed that? As you continue on, you become increasingly sensitive to things that you weren't sensitive to before. You have convictions now you never held before. You had no problem with saying things or watching things or, or doing things. And, and then one day, when you were reading the Word or someone came alongside and said something, it brought it to your attention, and then you couldn't get it out of your mind. It's like you wanted to just, well, hold on, and maybe fought back against it. But at some point, you realize, you know, God is speaking to me about this, and I need to do something about it. So it's not our feelings of being forgiven, but faith in God's Word, that He says, I will, if you confess, I will cleanse you. I want you to have fellowship with me. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And notice cleanse is in the present tense. As we confess, he will cleanse. When you've been wearing that, you know, the white robe of righteousness and it's a bit soiled from walking through the day, we can confess to God and he will wash us clean. Without, and now the guilt is gone. The shame is finished. And forgiveness it's an amazing thing. Forgiveness is to pardon, to treat as not guilty, the intentional releasing of an offender of all offense. So now the relationship is completely restored and even closer than before. So when we confess our sins, God cleanses us. And the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. And we don't have to agonize over unknown sins. We just have to walk in light of what God has revealed. We need to deal with those things. We can be so concerned that there may be some secret sin we don't know anything about. Well, are you choosing to walk in the light according to knowledge, what you already know? Are you doing those things and avoiding the sinful stuff that God's already spoken to you about? Now, these verses, they're not spoken to us to embolden us to sin, thinking that, oh, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so it doesn't really matter, but to keep us from sin. We have to decide if we value fellowship with God or sin more, because those two oppose one another. Verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if we claim perfection, we are liars accusing God of being a liar, which is a very scary prospect. And it says, his word is not in us. See, the God's word's very clear. He says, all have sinned, right? That's very, very plain. The reason Jesus was sent to be a savior of the world is because we are sinners and he wants to save us. There's this picture in Proverbs 30, verse 20. It's very interesting. It says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Like she's consumed the evidence. And the fact that she wipes her mouth, it's like, yeah, there's the bite out of the forbidden fruit of adultery. There's the residue on your serviette. 
The fact you wiped your face says that you did something, but you think that no one will know. But before God, it's all laid out there. It's kind of like we're the child who, who says, uh, like, Dad, I didn't eat the chocolate that's missing, and it's all over our face, it's all over our hands, and because we ate so much, we actually vomit it up. It becomes really obvious that, hey, you did eat the chocolate, didn't you? Yeah. Let's be those who confess that right away and go, yeah, you know, like, you got me. I was wrong. Like, we, if, if we could just be free of such folly and try to deny and deflect the light that God is shining upon our lives. Sin is like eating poison. It will sever our fellowship with God and with other believers. We need God to cleanse us today as much as we ever did. From the time we started following Jesus, we need his cleansing. We need his light. And according to God's word, anyone that denies um, our sinfulness is a liar and is trying to bring God down to his own level. Now we're going to go into the first two verses of the following chapter because it carries on this thought. It's really important because um, he's emphasizing that God's grace and his forgiveness is not a license to sin. It's not an approval of sin. 1 John 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John's written so people could have fullness of joy, they could have fellowship with God and with other believers, and now so that you will not sin. That's why he's written. And some people have made this mistake as it speaks of in Romans, that you would use grace as a cloak to hide your sin. Or to say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so what's the big deal if I sin? What's another sin if he's died for all the sin for all time? Um, Think about it. If Meyer and David Jones said all debts accrued during the month of August would be forgiven, paid off completely, no interest or penalty to the one who owed, What do you suppose would happen if they opened up credit accounts for everybody? Well, everyone would be maxing out their cards, buying stuff for themselves, stuff they don't even need, stuff that they'll just plan to resell. Because at the end of the month, everything's wiped clean. So yeah, buy up. Max out those cards. And uh, the generosity of the store to forgive debts would be abused by people who seek in their greed to gain from it. And some people have applied this same thing to Christ. The very sin that he shed his blood for us to be cleansed from, the fact that he forgives us is not approval to continue in it. It would be like if if my son went overseas and committed a, a terrible crime that was worthy of death in that country, and I mortgaged my house and I sold the car and I raided my investments, and I took big hits to my to liquidate my finances and to pay everything so that the bail could be posted and, and he could get the best attorneys. And then for, for my son to say, oh, well, he, he, he likes me so much, I guess I'll go and do it again. 
do the exact same thing that I paid this price that he could be out of prison. So that he could be. Well, I mean, if you're in that kid's position, is that even reasonable at all that you would have that view? Like, oh yeah, I guess it's okay that I do this. No, of course not. So he's writing to us saying, hey, I want you to fellowship with God and I don't want you to be in sin. Don't continue it. Don't see my sacrifice and love as approval of your crimes. And uh, we can just not even see it that way, but that's in reality what's happening. The blood of Jesus was poured out to make atonement for our sin. And though God has forgiven us, he continues to cleanse us. It says anybody can have Jesus as an advocate if we sin. So if we identify as a sinner, we can have Christ as our advocate. It's not like God the Father uh, wants to smash us and Jesus wants to save us because remember, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent Jesus to save us. He wants us saved. He wants us to have fellowship with him. And the word advocate, there's a couple of words in these verses that we don't use very often. Advocate means intercessor, consoler, and comforter. When we sin as God's children, We cannot point to how good we are or what we believe, but confession expresses our wickedness. Jesus acts on our behalf like in a defense attorney who who knows the law, and he says to us confidently, you're correct in saying that you're guilty of sin, but you have nothing to worry about because I have taken care of everything. The law that condemned you, it was nailed to the cross with me, The price, the fine that your sin required has been paid. I have paid it. I've taken care of it for you. And he's not like some shady DA who's looking for a loophole to let his client go free. As verse uh, 1 says, he's Jesus Christ the righteous. He's right. He's satisfied the justice of God through his shed blood. And having been forgiven, we can joyfully walk in the light, free from sin, free from being enslaved in sin, and without the guilt of past sin. It's done. It's finished. When we're in sin, it's like we're isolated. We're in solitary confinement. But now we have a connection with Jesus to walk in the light and to have fellowship with him. Do you know how it feels to breathe the free air of forgiveness without guilt? You can. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, another word, propitiation, not commonly used. And, And I really recommend that when you come across a word like this, check out some of the dictionary definitions. You can just look online. Get a good dictionary and instead of getting a, a really modernized and more basic, I guess, translation of the Bible that, that kind of strips it of these kind of words that are really deep and really meaningful. Consider what propitiation means. In the Strong's, it's atonement, concretely, and expiator or to expiate, and you're like, oh, joy, another word. So you know what? I looked it up for you. To expiate. 
So atonement, I'll, I'll, if you're writing it down, atonement means to make amends for, to pay what is owed. So atonement means to make amends for, to pay what is owed. Now expiate is really interesting. It means to put an end to, to extinguish the guilt incurred by, and to make amends for. So because Jesus is himself the propitiation for our sins, he has put an end to the sin that bound us and condemned us. He has extinguished the guilt of the sin. And he has made amends between us and God. He has made amends. His own blood being the compensation. Later on in the letter, John explains that as children of God, though we sin, we remain sinless before God. And it's really, so two times in chapter 3 and 5, he talks about that. But it was really important that he started the letter the way he did. Because he didn't want people thinking that, okay, when God looks at me, I'm always sinless. And therefore, I always have fellowship with God. He's like, no, the way God looks at you, yes, you're sinless. You are washed of sin, past, present, and future. However, if you want fellowship with God, you need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so don't think on the basis of your conversion that you have fellowship with God. Understand that you need cleansing to have fellowship with God and to keep confessing, keep following Jesus. So that was in 1 John 3 and eight and 5 as well. We'll get into that later. So... uh He says in 1 John 3, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. You guys have noticed that when someone has kids, their kids often bear resemblance to one or both parents. And uh, that can even change, where you might have some characteristic of a parent at a younger age, but as you get older, like, oh, man, looks so much like her mother. I can't believe that. Or, um, you know, it, it's just uncanny. The way that they carry themselves and the way they talk, the vo- way their voice sounds, it's just, it's unbelievable, the resemblance. And when we're born again, our choices, our attitude, the way we carry ourselves through this world, our righteous deeds, they will begin to resemble more that of Christ. So that when people look at us, there will be an uncanny resemblance to his love and his grace. And this is something we grow in, not the works of the flesh. And we'll begin to be more aware of our sin than before. And with with the increased desire to not sin, like I really don't want to sin. But if we call ourselves Christians and yet there's worry and lust and selfish ambition and envy, it's defining our lifestyle, then we must understand we are walking in darkness. I'm in darkness right now if those things mark my life. And we need to come to that realization so we would come into the light and confess it. In our body of flesh, we will struggle with temptation. We will fall prey to sin. The Bible talks about being overtaken with a trespass. There are things that you will be exposed to and decisions that you will make and situations that arise that you will be unprepared for and you will sin. You will be caught off guard. I don't care if you're putting on your spiritual armor or not. You're still in a body of flesh. 
you will make mistakes. We are to put on our armor of God. We are to be prepared. But even knights don't always beat the dragon. Okay? You can have all the armor on. It doesn't mean you are without fault. We make mistakes. We are sinners. I am a sinner. But we still have victory in Jesus and cleansing. He is our propitiation. He's put an end to that sin. So according to Scripture, there's times in the life of every believer, and if we say otherwise, we're lying, so he's put it, made it pretty clear, that we need cleansing for our sin. We've chosen to do. We can still congregate together. We can still be friends, but we can have the spiritual aspect cut off between us and one another and us and God, where we're not on good terms. And there's a little story I wanted to read to you uh, that J. Vernon McGee told in his homey way. He said, Dr. Harry Ironside had illustrated the confession that God requires with an incident in his own house. He had trouble one evening with one of his boys, so he sent the boy upstairs and told him not to come down to supper until he confessed the things he had done wrong. The boy would not admit anything at all. Finally, the boy called for Dr. Ironside to come upstairs and asked if he could go down to supper. His father said, it depends upon you. The boy said, if you think I have done something wrong, I'm sorry. The father said, that won't do. Later, the boy called him upstairs again. And this time he changes his story a little. He said, well, since you and mother both think that I have done something wrong, I guess I have. I want to come down to supper. Once again, his father told him, that's not good enough. Dr. Ironside went downstairs, and later on he heard the boy almost weeping. He said, dad, please forgive me. I know I have done wrong. Please forgive me. Then the lad came downstairs, and the family had a wonderful supper together because fellowship had been restored. So you see that progression, right? But I love how the father always goes to the call of the boy. And it wasn't until the boy was willing to admit that he had sinned and done wrong. Not like, well, since you think I have, maybe I have. Like, hmm, that sounds like something I could say. You get to that point of brokenness where it's like, all right, you know, I'm hungry. I'm isolated. I'm apart from where it's all happening. I don't want to be in my room right now. I want to be with you. Then, when we confess, he will restore us to himself. So I ask you, what, what value do you place on fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers? You know, the cost God paid for us to have that was nothing less than the blood of Jesus. God doesn't want you to be in sin anymore. He wants you to be in the light as he is in the light. He's put an end to the sin. He's extinguished our guilt. And he's made amends for it. If we will confess, he will forgive and wash us clean. just want to read this one passage again. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's not one of us who needs to be distant, deceived, or in darkness anymore. We can come into the light. I don't know if you remember the story, but a few years ago, I'd say 2009, 2010, there was that mining accident in Chile. You guys remember that? Where those miners were stuck underground for for 
over a month. And uh, the rescue efforts were thankfully successful, and I think 33 people were saved. But can you imagine being in the darkness there and your family not knowing whether you're alive or not? I know that they sent some messages out here and there. But what a travesty when you think about it in these terms. When we're in darkness, it's like, I want my dad to know that I'm alive and that I still love him. And what a shame for me to refuse to come out of that mind because I've been sleeping rough for a while, hadn't had a shower for a few weeks, hadn't really been eating good food, and so I didn't want to come out because it would be embarrassing. I didn't want to be exposed, but not one of us takes a shower in the dark. We shower in the light. We, we need to come into the light. So it doesn't matter how dark a place you find yourself today. Come into the light. It doesn't matter what you're looking like. Because you want to be with him. He wants to be with you. He is waiting to respond. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are his redeemed. Come into the light. Thank you, Lord for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that we don't have to remain in darkness anymore, that you want to have fellowship with us where we speak to you and you speak to us. And, and as we walk in the light and you reveal things, that we walk uh, accordingly. Lord, I thank you for the just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how you, you reveal things to us, our need to change and, and our inability to change on our, by ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would bring to light those areas that are still in darkness, that we could confess them and walk in newness of life. Lord, we want to be where you are. We want to have fellowship with your family. We, we are yours, Lord, and you are ours. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our midst, individually and corporately, that we would uh, value fellowship and relationship with you over any amount of personal embarrassment or uh, shame. Lord, thank you that you've taken our guilt away, that you have put an end to the sin that has bound us and that we can uh, breathe the free air again. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister to every heart and that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.